Hey guys, Pastor Marcus here. Welcome to the Pomo Pastor Podcast, where our focus is going to be how to optimize your local Adventist church. I hope you're blessed by what you hear and that it inspires you to make a difference in your local church today. Hey everyone, it's Marcus here. Welcome to the Pomo Pastor Podcast. I'm super excited about today because we're going to be talking about restoring broken churches. And that is a big topic because many of us in the Adventist context really relate to this. We, we know what it's like to be in a broken church. How do we restore them? How do we help them to become the best version of themselves that they can be? But I'm not alone today. I'm with a friend, a colleague, a, a schoolmate, if that's a thing. We went to school together at Southern Adventist University. He's also the host of the Absurdity Podcast and the lead podcast with Roger Hernandez, Ryan Becker. Welcome to the podcast, bro. How are you doing? Hey, man, I am excited to be here. It's my first time on someone else's podcast, so this is really <laughs> cool. Um, and I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just uh, getting through these summer months where 90% of my church members are on vacation, and I <laughs> and I don't have as many people here. Uh, but it's, uh, it is a good time out here in South Carolina. That is awesome. South Carolina. Nice, man. Well, it's winter here in Australia. It's miserable because the houses here are insulated and they don't have um, central heating. Oh. So you're just cold 24-7. Um, but, man, I'm super stoked to have you on the podcast as well, bro. I've been following you at The Absurdity and, and um, on the lead podcast uh, as well. And love the work that you're doing and the innovation and the energy you bring into you know the different conversations that you invest yourself in. Um, so listen, as we begin, we're, we're going to talk about restoring broken churches. That's the space that you're in right now. But um, I just want to start out with just a little bit about yourself. Um, tell us who the Ryan Becker is. Oh, man, the Ryan Becker. That's, um, that's epic. So I, uh, well, I've, I've actually been given that title um, from, from my days at Southern uh, because I was known as the ghost of the school of religion because I somehow got got out of all of the required school of religion events we had to go to. Um, and so I was known <laughs> as like this myth and people would be like the Ryan Becker. I've never seen him before. Uh, it was just, it's kind of this running joke now I've had for the last several years, but that is awesome. I, um, I hail from Orlando, Florida. I'm 25 years old at the time of this recording. So 25 years old, I live in Rock Hill, South Carolina, which is just outside of Charlotte. And uh, I live alone in my apartment with my dog, Sugar. She's an eight-year-old corgi. Um, in general, yeah, I, I podcast. I have two uh, very active ones right now, and then one that's kind of sitting on the, the back burner at the moment while we do some planning and visioning for it. Um, and... As far as hobbies are concerned, I play tennis, soccer, uh, volleyball. I love photography, and I just kind of do whatever I want to do. I also play video games on occasion. I've gotten um, made some actually great friends playing video games. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what I do with a little bit of my spare time. And um, yeah, there you go. Awesome, man. So look, I've got to ask you a question. This is this is a massive, massive question. This is the most profound question you've probably <laughs> encountered all month long. And, no um, in fact, it might be the most profound question you've ever explored in your entire life. Um, what did you think of John Mayer's new music video? 
That is the most profound question I will ever be asked. I don't think anyone's <laughs> going to top that. I think you've done it. I can retire right now. Retire, I, bro. <laughs> I loved every second of that video. <laughs> I loved it. Plus the song. Like, okay, so my first time seeing the music video was also my first time hearing that song, period. Mm. I didn't even know he had been releasing new music. Mm. Uh, so, like, everything about that was just absolutely amazing to me. Uh, and then I heard the story of how that happened, and I went, that's even better. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah. Like, at first I thought it was just this professional music, like, you know, these professionals doing a I mean, technically, the people who still did it were professionals. But, mm. um, you know, I, I thought it was like legit movie studios or, 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 you know, video production companies that that were putting this out. And then I found out, oh, yeah, he just went down the street to some local <laughs> like birthday and Hanukkah and Christmas video <laughs> store company like in a mall and was like, yeah, make us make me a music video. Um, <laughs> It's like the greatest thing ever. Oh, I that is it. awesome, man. I think I watched that music video like when it first came out like 10 or 15 times within the first two days, bro. I was so in wow. love with it. But yeah, like wow. I saw that as well. Like, you know, that they were um, – I mean I don't know if it was like a publicity stunt or not. But that's the story that they were – they couldn't agree on a budget for the video. So he went down to a local bar mitzvah. <laughs> video yeah, yeah. at filming store and just said hey let's do a music video dude if that if people find out what that video store was that video store is going to make so much bank <laughs> after this absolutely like, man um that's but you know that like to me that video speaks so much to like what you can get away with when your name is big enough mm, yeah um, like you know if i put out a video like that it's not gonna go nearly like it's not gonna, no one's gonna care no it's gonna be um, the laughing stock of uh Whoever yeah. <laughs> watches it, which will be very few people. You're right, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's gonna be like it's gonna be like everyone, like every baby's baby, every baby that's being born in the last like five years, in the next ten years. Um, you know, as they grow up, all of their baby pictures and little embarrassing kids moments are gonna be on social media. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> when they're teenagers and when they're adults. Like, yep. it's kind of like that. Like, that's gonna it's gonna be that shame that that mm. that, ca that I carry with me right. um, if I were to do. It. But man, he pulled it off. It was awesome, bro. So Ryan, look, thank you for being on, on the podcast today. Thank you for, for taking the time out of your schedule to hang out with um, the Pomo Pastor podcast. Just spend a few moments sharing from your experience. Now, I want to talk about restoring broken churches because that is a theme that you are currently involved in. That's a space that you're currently embedded in. So I want to start here. Tell me the story of, of how you even got involved in this space to begin with. So when I came out of Southern, I did a six-month internship. I graduated in December. Uh, and the plan was that my conference had hired me to sponsor and or had sponsored me to go to seminary. The problem is I graduated in December and seminary didn't start till August. So I had to fill that kind of eight-month gap. And what I did was I did a six-month internship at Southern – uh, in the admissions department. And near the end of that, I realized, wait, I have an apartment now, I have furniture, and I don't want to go from Chattanooga, Tennessee, down eight hours to Orlando, Florida for two months just to have to move again. That's a lot of money, all the way up to Berrien Springs, Michigan. Like, I don't want to do that. So I asked the conference and I said, hey, is there any way you guys could send me up to seminary a couple, uh, you know, a couple months early? And they're like, no, but um, we can look for a summer job for you. And they were, and they they ended up finding this church district that I'm currently in, and they were like, hey, they're getting a, their their old pastor's transitioning out, and they need an interim pastor, so you can just interim for the time that you are going to be or before seminary starts. 
So it's like, cool, I get full pastor's pay, which for a kid out of college, like that's super good, uh, especially because <laughs> seminary pay is not that. And um, I, I took it. So I came out to Charlotte. At the time, I was actually pastoring three churches. Now it's two. Well, within a month, about a month and a half or so, uh, the churches actually asked if they could keep me. Oh, wow. And as their actual pastor. And I was like, well, hold up. You need to go to the conference with this because they're already doing me a favor by allowing me to be here for the summer. Right. Like I asked for this favor. I don't want to ask them for another one. And so the churches asked. Amazingly, the conference president was already on the calendar to speak at one of my churches uh, in that time. Hmm. So they just waited for that Sabbath to come and they um, and they asked him and he's like, yeah, all he has to do is ask and we'll do it. So. Um, I looked at the churches. I saw a lot of potential. There were a lot of issues. Don't get me wrong. Um, there were a, a lot of things to work through, but ultimately I saw what I saw were a bunch of nice people, like really friendly, really welcoming people. And I said, there's potential here and I'd love to see what can be done here. So I decided to stay Asked the conference. They decided to do a three year agreement. And I am literally as of the be at the beginning of this month of June 2018, it's been officially two years that I've been in this district. Um, and yeah, so that's just kind of how it's happened. Wow, man, that's that's pretty cool because it's interesting the way you're describing that, because I, I, can, I can see the fingerprints of God throughout that story. Um, this this wasn't something that you had initially planned or aspired to, but it just sort of unfolded that way. And so so there you are. And and you mentioned something during that description about the challenges, the opportunities and the challenges of these two local churches. So expand that a little bit more for me. Give us a feel, um, yeah, of what those opportunities and challenges are or were. So the opportunities I saw, one of the churches is actually in a neighborhood. Like the end of a part at the end of our parking lot is a fenced in backyard. Um of someone's house and across the street, not the road, the street is a house. It's a bunch of houses. Like we're literally in a neighborhood. So that was number one. Um, so there was an opportunity there because none of the neighborhood actually attends the church. Um, and then with the other church, um, there were, um, it was actually really, it was a really nice facility and right across the street from an elementary school. And I was like, there's, there's real opportunity in both of these churches for community impact. And on top of that, everyone has been super nice and friendly, which means you can work with nice people like you actually can, because if you can if you can make a footprint in the community, then you've already got half of your work done. That's right. Uh, which is, you know, if, if everyone was rotten and mean and didn't care, then I'd be out. The other thing I had noticed as far as challenges were concerned is, uh, A, I am the only young adult, really. I'm the only one between 20 and 40 that is there. Um, there's a, there's a few people that have been showing up on a regular basis, uh, that have kind of changed that a little bit, but not much. Yep. Um, you know, one or two other people, it's mostly people who are 50, 55 plus and, or, you know, they bring their grandkids or their great grandchildren. So for, which is great. Cause I can actually go to the conference or, you know, go anywhere and just say, I have a hundred percent young adult involvement. You know, a young adult preaches, a young adult leads the board, young adult does all these <laughs> awesome things. And it's um, you. <laughs> and it's me, yes. Uh, so that was that's a significant challenge is that age, um, especially since I'd been working with youth for most of my time, then suddenly switching to the other end of that spectrum was huge. Like that was a big transition. I had to figure out how to do that. Um, and the other thing is like over the last 15 years or so, these churches have been in a huge decline. And I don't like I don't mean that out of any disrespect for anyone or anything like that. 
Um, they had just gone through so many things that they had really forgotten how to be a community. In fact, both churches thought the other church hated each hated them. Mm-hmm. And when I asked, like, why don't we do anything with the other church? They're 30 minutes away. I was like, why don't we do anything together? And they're like, oh, the other church doesn't like us, wow. uh, but we're fine. And then I asked the other church, and they gave me the same answer. And I was like, oh, well, I just need to build that bridge real quick. Um, <laughs> uh, but all of the, all their stuff was water under the bridge from the past, and but no one had bothered to actually act on it. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, there there's some some really significant challenges with some of the things that had put them in a downturn for the last 15 years. Low pastoral trust, low trust in each other, uh, lack of desire to actually hang out together or spend time together. Uh, things like that were really really difficult. Wow, it's interesting as you explained that because I, like I feel like a, um, a lot of local Adventist churches find themselves in that same space. Uh, just from my conversations with you know lots of pastors and from my observation as well, you know I've been to many Adventist churches. I've been in Adventist all my life, so um, I feel like that that sort of you know the experience that you find yourself in is not the exception. It tends to be the norm. Maybe not in every single detail, but certainly in the you know in the broad sort of narrative that you're encountering there with you know, these challenges and, you know, there's obviously all of this leads to a lack of missional passion, missional effectiveness, mm-hmm. you know, there's the church is aging and, you know, young people aren't showing up, you know, that all of that stuff I've seen so many times. And so, and I'm sure you have as well. Uh, so when, when you were like approached and they said, Hey, we want you to stay as our pastor. Did you think to yourself, um, there's hope here. I can, I can, I can bring healing and restoration and change to these churches. Or, or did you think, oh boy? Um, I mean, I'll do it, but <laughs> no. I it was it was very much the former. In fact, yeah. at the time, I had already started doing some of that. My okay. goal was my goal when I came in. I told the churches, I was like, look, I may be here for three months, but I want to do what I can to walk with you as a community, um, and get get you started in the right direction. That whoever comes after me can, um can really uh, hit the ground running. Hmm. So that was really my goal. Um, And in those three months, we had already started uh, doing some stuff at the, at the churches. And it was, uh, so I I very much had had seen the potential and seen the hope and had already begun working in that direction from the get go. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. So tell me a little bit about um, as you were, as this journey has progressed, you're, you're, you're working with these um, restoring these broken churches you've already done this a little bit but i want to get like your definition of broken like what would you say are you know like the key challenges that make a church broken so the key challenges and i i think in my mind uh number one is lack of mission uh lack of mission directly correlates to lack of unity so i kind of see those as one and the same typically Hmm. um it's either a lack of mission or a misunderstanding of the mission that exists those are the two things that I think cause the most disunity. Um, so that's number one. Um, number two, stagnating in numbers or member, uh, you know, stagnating or dropping in members um, or attendance. So I think we're seeing a shift. I'm, you know, I pre- I'm, I'm in the USA, and there's a, there's definitely a shift in the culture where now, when it comes to evangelism, you don't do a cold altar call and people just accept Jesus off the bat. 
That's when right. they've never met you before. Now it's very much people will walk with your church community for a year, two years, three years before they actually mm. uh, make that decision and make that jump. Yep. So uh, lack of attendance and lack of membership, uh, people leaving or otherwise, and a uh, lot of infighting, a lot of, um, and that comes from, once again, no mission. There's nothing mm. to actually keep people busy. So the only thing they do is stir up drama with each other. Um, and um, finally, money. Um, I, I financially, if you're not um, growing financially or you're not doing and, – and membership I think is tied to that to some extent. Hmm. Um, but if you're not growing financially in any sort of way, then you've, you've also stagnated that. So th those are some of the, 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 the ways that I would identify a broken church. Um, and it, honestly, lack of mission would be the most important out of all of those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So your churches are, are – um, the churches that you're currently working with, your aging churches, your churches that haven't been involved in mission for a really long time – as you sort of go in there um, and you begin sort of that process of getting people's mind in the right place when it comes to mission, what are some of the obstacles you faced? Because I know like there's, there's generally like this type of obstacles that people encounter. Um, sometimes they're myths. You know, like, I, like I've heard these throughout mm. my life. You know, like you have a church that's dying and you, you try and, and, and help it to grow and then someone pikes up and says, it's not about numbers, you know, and it's like – um, <laughs> you know, it's it, wow. they, yeah. they, they try and circumvent the issue by by using some sort of religious, you know, ideology or whatever. So, so what were some of the challenges or obstacles that you faced as you tried to get these churches through into that process of restoration? Um, so the one of them was a um, a desire for community members to be in the church, but a lack of desire to accept them before they join. So in other words, I want people who are already converted. I don't want people before they're converted because I'm afraid of those people or whatever. Like if we're in a low income neighborhood, then having someone from that neighborhood in your church is risky. And um, when you're talking with elderly church members, there's not a lot you can do in terms of self-defense, in terms of anything like if, if someone does present a danger. So that's number one. Um, Number two, I it was kind of, and I'm glad I had this mindset when I came in, um, but finding out uh, two things: a, find out who the leaders are and 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 who the key influences are, in, key influencers are, because the leaders and the influencers are not always the same people. In fact, rarely they're the same people. The you know, in one of my churches, the founder of the church still goes to the church, but he's not an elder or doesn't serve in any leadership anymore. He's still an influencer, even though he's not a leader. And he's you know, he's not a board member or elected or anything like that. And the other thing that I came in with the mindset with was um, not to trust the very first person that tries to be my friend. Mm. because um, now, I can trust them after a while, but what I'm saying is I don't trust them immediately. I don't look at someone and am grateful that they were the ones that took a step forward and welcomed me and made sure I felt at home. That doesn't matter to me mm. because what that tells me is you're trying to buddy up to me so that I'm on your side if something were to happen. Yeah. And that's not – I'm not going to play that game. I'm not going to be in someone's pocket. And now, if over time I notice that that's not the case and I have the chance to let them know that up front, then no big deal. Um, but I was very glad to have those two things in uh, as my mindset coming in. I, I did come in very guarded. Um, and very careful and cautious. What was step one for you to, to get to to that place? Because you can't just 
you, I'm sure you didn't just walk in there and start the restoration process. There's got to be like a step one to set the foundation for that process to even begin. So, so what was that for you? Um, the, the biggest thing I did, and this was hard because I'm also young talking to people who are two to three times my age, which means that I've got to be very careful with how I come across. I've got to be professional, but also let them know like, yeah, I'm, I am new, but I know what I'm, you know, I don't, I may not know everything I'm doing, but I'm here with a purpose. Mm. Um, but the first thing that I did when I came into those churches was I came in with a disposition that, or, or a posture of, I want to walk with you as a community. Mm. My job is not to lead you through the desert. I'm not your Moses, all right? I am um, someone who is on this journey alongside you, mm. which means that I'm gonna walk where you walk, I'm gonna stumble where you stumble, and we're gonna figure it out together. Mm. And that was huge because it let them know. Apparently, the first Sabbath I walked into a couple of my churches, there you could cut the tension with a knife, and I didn't know. I didn't. I had no clue. I'd never been there, mm. right? And within two weeks, people were telling me, like, this entire church has just changed. Mm. And it was because I walked in and I preached relationally. I did not preach academically. Mm. Um, so I didn't preach lectures. I did preach biblical truths. Do not get me wrong. But I preached relationally, which meant um, that I wasn't trying to hammer them over the head with Ellen White or the Bible. I was trying to help them see the God that wants a relationship with them. Yeah. And um, – and I was happy. I was smiling. I was having a good time with them. I was open to any suggestions. I was. I said, hey, I want to hear what you want to see this church become. I want to hear your story and get to know you. It was very much a friendly disposition uh, that let them say, oh, we can relax a little bit. And that was step one, was letting them know that I was safe. Yeah. That that was huge. That like, is if huge, I, if, if I if I had a If I had a different start, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be where I am right now. Wow, that is huge, bro. Look, I, I've heard this from, from a few different pastors that when you walk into a church with an agenda, um, with a pre-set sort of preset agenda, and you walk into the church with the goal of implementing your agenda, um, that's, where, um, that's where you start wrong. You know, that's where a lot of the problems emerge. And so I find it you know, really cool that you say that, that that was your starting point because that starting point is what has enabled you. It's built, it builds trust automatically because yep. if these members had been dealing with agenda-driven pastors and then you come along and you're like, I'm not agenda-driven, then there's an automatic bridge that's built that wasn't there mm -hmm. before. Because when you're agenda-driven, it just puts people on the defensive. You know? like, I've, been, you know, I've been to churches where the leadership is trying to twist everyone's arm because they want the church to go in this direction, you know, or they want the church to go in that direction. And from the very beginning, they kind of come in and they're twisting arms and they're saying, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And whether they want the church to go from being traditional to contemporary or, or, or whether they want to, you know, expand the facility and build, they just come in with this sort of like, this is what we're going to do. You didn't go in there like that. You went in there and said, listen, I'm not here to tell you what we're going to do. I'm here to journey with you. And we're going to figure this out together. We're going to see where God is leading us together. And that's brilliant, bro. Well, each, each church is like a person, right? Each church has its own personality. And whether you're a conservative church, contemporary church, traditional, whatever, right? Like there's a need for every type of church. Every yeah. community is different and every church is different. So it's not just putting your vision or your agenda in front of them. It's, it's like a relationship, right? I don't get into a relationship and then try to make that relationship everything I dreamed it would be. The relationship becomes a mixture of what we both bring to that table. 
and what we both vision it to be. This is the same way with with a church. My vision and their vision need to somewhere meet in the middle and and become that church's vision as a whole. Um, but it does not happen where it's just all right, this is what I want us to do. Now, I do come with professionalism. I come with an air of like, oh, well, here's why that might not work. And I come with some caution and words of wisdom, sure. But that doesn't mean I'm putting down someone else's ideas or um, or suggestions. It means that I'm, I'm guiding them through that process because my job is not, um, my job, I don't see my job is to make a great church. I see my job as helping everyone become the, the fullest that God has called them to be. And that includes the church collectively as much as it does individually. Yeah, absolutely, man. So, you know, it, it, it reminds me of what you're sharing right now. reminds me of this um, concept in the business world called the infinity game. I don't know if you've heard of it before. Uh, that There's two types of businesses in the business world. There's those that play the infinity game and there's those that play to win. And the businesses that play to win are the businesses that look at a, a particular, you know, niche that they're going to be selling in, and they ask, "How can we make the most money? How can we knock out the competition quickly and make the most money? Mm. Take over that that market." The the businesses that play the infinity game they don't ask that question. Instead, they ask, "How can we own this market?" But do it in a way that we're still here 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now. And so what happens with the businesses that play the infinity game is they don't necessarily own the market right away and make the most money right away. But they're there for a really long time. Whereas the businesses that come in to win, they come in with this mindset like we've got to win the game now. They don't usually last more than 10 years. You know, they, they sort of come and go. Um, and it's yeah. it's very similar in the church context, you know. Like if you're coming into a church as a leader and you and your goal is I want to walk into this church and I want to win, then you're gonna kill yourself. And I've seen this because I grew up in church. You know, pastors come in and they kill themselves for four to eight years making all of these changes, and 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 at the end they have the church that they dreamed of, and then they leave and everything they've done goes to nothing. Like as soon as they're gone, the members go way right, right back to what they used to do. And the ones that support the new direction the pastor implemented start fighting with the ones who want to go back to the old ways. And then a new pastor comes along with his own agenda, and it's all over again. It's a waste of time. We need to, as leaders, we need to play the infinity game where we're saying, look, it's not about me, and it's not about what we can win right now. Or, 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 or like you said, and I love the way you said it, it's not about, you know, I wasn't called to make great churches. I was called to impact these people. You know, I was called to make a difference in their lives so that they can build the kingdom of God. And and I think that's sort of the mindset that we need to be in. Um, so that's kind of, yeah. I do not care if the person who comes after me takes credit for everything I did. Mm. I, I could not care less about credit. I could not care less. I mean, I know God and I know what I've done. Mm. Um, and God knows what he's done through me. I'm not concerned at all about that. If I care about these communities, then I care about um, them more than I care about my credit, my awards, my accolades, and my accomplishments. Mm. I want them to flourish, and that means that I may not always get the acknowledgments and the thanks. Um, and the only way you can do that is if you're confident in what you've been called to do. That's the I like I. That's the only way I can do it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I love it, bro. Step zero, step zero. Before you begin restoring your church, come in with a posture of humility. How can we journey together? Tell me where you guys are right now. 
So we are actually, so we've spent the last couple of years, um, you know, we, we did vote on a mission statement. We've redesigned websites. We've started a sermon archive. We've, um, we've cleaned up physically some of the churches. We're currently at one church in the middle of upgrading some of our sound equipment. Um, and we've done a few physical changes that have really helped uh, facilitate community. Um, we added a, our, our fellowship hall is a 30 by 40 foot room that's tile floor. Our potlucks for the first year I was there never lasted more than about 30 to 45 minutes because, you know, at the time there was 25, 30 people, no, 20 to 25 people. Um, and they just, the, the noise would echo so much they would leave. They couldn't mm. deal with it. So we, um, I spent some time researching. We, we bought the materials and built acoustic paneling that we put up on the wall and, um, immediately our first Sabbath with those in, they weren't even hung yet. They were just in the room. Uh, our first Sabbath with those in our potluck lasted over an hour for the first time. And everyone immediately noticed the difference in noise. So that was like, so we've, we're, we've learned, we're learning how to be a community and want to be in each other's presence for longer because we made the church a pleasant place to be. Mm. Um, the right now we're in the position of, we're trying to figure out, um, we're trying to create, we've done structural stuff. Now we're moving relational. And so I'm working with the deacons and or the deaconess actually. I'm working with the deaconesses to create a visitation plan. I'm also I've taken over uh, reconnect stuff, which is like people who haven't been coming to church for a while. We had members overseeing that, and instead I've I've we've we've changed it to pastor driven with the elder and the deacons or the elders and the deacons. So um, we're we're moving in the plan in the direction of doing a better job of taking care of each other uh, outside of the church service. That is, um, that's been huge, and that's kind of where we're at. We've been putting together proposals and and putting together plans and uh, getting everything approved. And next month, I'll actually be doing a training session for some of my deaconesses and deacons to uh, do visitation and uh, and really dream about the future uh, together awesome. as as we take care of each other. So we've done structural changes, and now we're we're moving into the relational changes. Oh, that's awesome, man! It, it would be really cool to. Um... And this is just an idea that I'm throwing out there. You know, if you ever get a chance to sort of write down some of the structural processes that you guys put into place and how you change that and also your relational processes, that'd be really cool just to have a look at it and learn from it, man. Because at the end of the day, this is one of the things I found. Now, I, I don't know if you're going to agree with this or not, but this is from my experience. When we talk about optimizing the local church for success – um, about revitalizing the church, about growing the church. Uh, one of the number one things that emerges in that conversation is the involvement of the members. Members just aren't involved, right? So you got mm -hmm. low membership um, involvement, and the people who are involved, they're already stretched thin. They don't have time to do more, and so they just settle for mediocrity. And the thing I've seen is that from there, when it comes to getting other members involved, a lot of people tend to take this tone, this lecture tone, like, you know, preaching sermons and, and trying to twist people's arms to make them feel guilty to get involved. And so I wondered for a long time, why is church involvement so low? Why, why is the 80-20 principle, you know, 20% do all the work, 80% sit around? Why is that a reality in so many of our churches? And I refuse to believe that it was simply because people are lazy, because that's what a lot of people think. You know, <laughs> oh, people are just lazy. They're just not committed. And here's the thing I've learned. As a leader, you never have the option of blaming anyone else. You have to find a solution, right? You never have the option yeah. of sitting there and saying they're just lazy. No, that is not – that's a luxury for people who are not leaders. As a leader, you don't have that luxury. And so I looked at it and I said, look, I can't accept that people are just lazy. There has to be something else. I've got to find a solution. 
And what I discovered is that many times it's the very structure of the church that um, kills people's involvement. It's the it's the very way it's it, it's leadership is structured. It's it's um, direction is structured. Everything. It, it's what kills people's desire to be involved to begin with. And so oftentimes you have to start with redefining the structure, and then you can get to – you will start to see more involvement. See, I don't know if you've noticed that in your setting because I know you started out by you know, redoing structures. So talk to me a little bit about that. Like is that reality you've noticed or was it a different experience for you? Um, it's a slightly different experience with me. I agree with you. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, I – my my experience with this is um, people sit around when they don't see how they fit into the vision and the mission yeah, that you've set. Right. Yep. Um, if they don't see themselves filling a role, if they don't really, or if they don't own it themselves, they don't care about it. Like right, like people will be involved with what they're passionate about. Mm-hmm. Period. Um, and what I actually found is some of the members that sit around, whether it's because they're physically incapable of doing anything else, or otherwise, sometimes I found that they're the one, they're the ones that are the most active. Um, I have one church member who can do nothing but sit around, and yet she's the greatest at phone calls and making sure that people know they are loved and cared for. If the, if you're not there on Sabbath, she's calling you um, yeah. that afternoon. And yeah. and I didn't even know she d- was doing that, right? Um, so some sometimes the people that are sitting around are actually the ones that are keeping your church alive. Mm. Um, but the structural changes were huge because they, like I said earlier, they made the church, they started to become, they started to make the church a place people wanted to be. And they, they started to make the place, uh, make it a place that people looked forward to coming to. And that changed, um, pretty much everything uh, in that regard. Now I don't have a hundred percent involvement. I actually still pretty much follow that, um, that rule, the 80, 20 rule, whether I like it or not. Um, and part of that honestly is just quite, it, it's physical capabilities. Yeah. Um, that's my, my biggest obstacle is physical capabilities. When I'm dealing with a lot of people who are retirees, um, it's just what it, it is, what it is. Um, so what I've decided to do is I, I thought, why, why do we equate discipleship with church involvement? Why can't discipleship be more than just how involved you are at church? And why can't it be what you're doing you know, it is what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, and we talk about it being what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, but we really, you know, you're not really a disciple unless you're getting involved in church. Hmm. And so I encourage people, we have some members who will go and volunteer at a local nonprofit once a week, and I'm like, great, that counts. That's a church activity right there. Um, you know what I mean? Like, it's what you're doing in your life to make an impact in the community, to make an impact in the lives of your friends, family, coworkers, whatever. Um, that's discipleship. And I've owned... I've I, I I've become less about you being involved in the church level and more concerned with people being involved where God has called them to be involved. Yes, that's awesome, man. I love it, bro. It's it's amazing how shifting the way we see just a few small things can can make such a massive difference, man. Uh, absolutely. Look, I, I want to ask you this next question because um uh, you know those listening to the to the podcast you'll have some who are experienced pastors you'll have some who are new pastors and of course you'll have just church members who are passionate about their church who want to see uh their broken church begin to be restored what words of inspiration do you have for for anyone in that space they're currently attending a local church it's a broken church they feel they feel disillusioned. They feel like ah, you know, I'm I'm sick of this. I don't think there's any hope. Um, what what words would you have for them? Um, I this is gonna sound really kind of um, <laughs> this is gonna sound not helpful at first. But the first, there are two things. Number one, humble yourself. 
Hmm. And number two, be rooted and well, not even be rooted. I want to be this. I want this to be phrased actively root yourself in your calling. So um, when I say humble yourself, if you're disillusioned because the church isn't what you want it to be, then you need to put yourself in check. Right. Um, Because if it's if the church is about what you want it to be, then you're missing the mark because this is God's church, not yours and not mine. So that's number one. Um, so the first thing I would say is humble yourself and check yourself and make sure that your disillusionment isn't because you're just frustrated because it's not what you want. Mm. Um, my churches are in style in the way they kind of do things. It's not what I want. Um, I, if you came to my churches and have known me for my entire life, you'd be like, really, you're pastoring these churches. And it's not because they're bad churches. They're just, they don't scream Ryan Becker. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they, they, they're not what you would expect after knowing me for X amount of years. Well, um, Part of that comes from humility. And the other thing is being rooted in your calling. Like I consider my calling to equip and empower others to become the fullest that God has called them to be. And as long as I am doing that, then I'm confident I'm moving in the right direction, Mm. period. Mm. I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how much struggle it takes. Um, And then I would add one more thing, which is the brokenness of people speaks to the sovereignty of God. Because for some reason, um, I don't know how he does it, but God is still able to accomplish his perfect plans through us as broken people. And he chooses to use us all the time. Uh, so whenever you see people messing up, just remember, and this is, this is actually what kept me in the church is that realization that their brokenness speaks to God's sovereignty, because even in their brokenness and even in my brokenness, God still uses us to accomplish his perfect plans. And that's amazing to me. Wow. That's awesome, man. Look, three things there. Number one, humility. I, I just, I just want to sort of milk these a little bit. Humility. Um, that was powerful. And, and, and what I hear you saying is it doesn't matter how disillusioned we are with the church. At the end of the day, we have to remember that it's not our church. It's God's church. And by humbling ourselves and admitting, look, this is God's church. It's not my church. He's the one who's doing a work here. He's the one who has a vision and a purpose here. Um, and all I have to do is find my place within within that. It's, 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 it's not my job to transform the church. It's simply my job to find my place within what God is doing here. That's kind of what I hear you say. That's kind of how it interprets in my head, that humility. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, churches, I mean, churches are communities. Like they're not – I know they, they, we have a board and we have budgets and, you know, they are businesses, but church was community. It met in houses, underground. Mm. Um, it was just about people being together. And if you see this as anything other than your journeying with your church, um, you're not Moses. Oh, there's only one Moses, and he already lived. Um, you know, there, there's, there's only one John the Baptist. There's only one Peter, one, only one Paul. And they've already lived their lives. You're called to live yours, and you're called to journey with your church. You're not called to be the best business you can possibly be. Mm, love it, man. Point number two, because that, that point number one was humility. Point number two, root yourself in your calling. That's really important, man, because I think you know once we identify where God has placed us and what he is asking us to accomplish, that I mean, that takes so much pressure off. Like I remember hearing an example a long time ago where a guy was like, you know, picture the globe, right? Because a lot of people get disillusioned when they, when they think of like, you know, especially millennials, like we think of changing the world and eventually you get to the point where you're like, I can't change the world. I'm just one person. And I remember this guy using this example. He's like, think of the planet, think of planet earth. Like think of this giant globe and then 
draw in your head a bunch of little circles all over that globe and those little circles connect with one another and so the whole globe is full and covered in these little circles one of those circles is you and the sphere of influence that god has given you mm. all those other circles represent the spheres of influence that god has given other people because god is the one who's going to save this world god is the one who's doing the work in this world and all you need to worry about is the sphere of influence that he's given you. He's taking care of everything else. And, and I remember being like, wow, you know, because sometimes we're like, oh, it's too big a problem. I just I can't do it. I give up. And it's, we fail to realize that God's only given us a small sphere of influence for us to be faithful to. And he's taking care of the rest. We don't have to worry about that. You know, so when you say yeah. root yourself in your calling, it's, you know, for me, it sounds, you know, as I think of this illustration, it sounds like. You know, know what your circle of influence is and be really good there and leave the rest up to God. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is actually, before we touch on the last one, there's one more thing I wanted to make sure I, I, I said tonight. It's the biggest lesson I've learned, um, which is this, and this might change someone's ministry if they've been doing it differently. Uh, we tend to build up preaching as kind of the, like the, the big thing that we do. Um, mm. But what I've learned is the pulpit does not create direction. It cements it. Um, it cements whatever direction you're already going in. And when we try to preach a new direction from the pulpit, um, it doesn't work. We create direction in one-on-ones and in small yes. groups and in small meetings, and the pulpit simply confirms it and puts everyone on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, no one should be hearing new information about the direction of your church from the pulpit first. They should have already been able to give their input and talk with you and journey with you through that. Um, that was huge for me as well. Um, because it gives every single person a voice and it doesn't blindside anyone with changes that they didn't see coming. That's right. I love it, man. I love it. That's, that's, man, that's like a quotable, bro. Like you need to put that like on a, on a word swag, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that's like really quotable, man. And your last point, um, remind me your last point. Cause I've been going through the other two and it's sort of, um, has slipped. Oh, brokenness. Yeah. Brokenness. Brokenness yes. speaks, the brokenness of people, uh, speaks to God's sovereignty. Mm. Yeah, um, wow. that's an encouragement thing because I get this look. It uh, honestly, and I'm I don't care if I get in trouble for what I'm about to say. If it if it was about people, uh, I would have left Adventism a long time ago. I probably would have left Christianity a long time ago if this was about people. I'm an Adventist because I believe it mm. first and foremost. And this isn't about people. This is about Jesus. And so for me, um, whenever I get distracted by the brokenness of people, I have to remember what that brokenness points me to, and that's Jesus. Because my brokenness is supposed to point me to Jesus. Hmm. So why can't the brokenness of others do that same thing? That's right, man. That's right. I love it, bro. And, and, and you know, like that, that kind of circles back to humility because at the end of the day, we're all broken. And, and one of the things I've found from people who are like hypercritical is, you know, that that sort of um, mindset belongs to those who don't recognize their own brokenness. You know, don't recognize that God is doing something in your life with your brokenness. He's doing something in their life with their brokenness. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that we can just sit back and say, oh, well, I guess everything's fine and we can just let the problems continue. But there's a difference because, at least for me, when I recognize my brokenness, what it does is it leads me to seek ways to inspire people to a new tomorrow mm. rather than seek ways to require people to a new tomorrow. Yes. And the difference between inspiring others and requiring from others is massive. You may, you know, you, you may get up on the pulpit and talk about what we are required to do. And it will get you nowhere. It will just burn people out. But when you find a way to inspire them, 
that's when you can light the fire and see things begin to change. And it begins with recognizing your brokenness. You know, if you think you're the only one whose armpits don't stink in the room and everyone's required to be like you, go for it. Good luck to you. But I've learned that in brokenness, you discover the key to inspiring others, man. Absolutely. Yeah, bro. Ryan, I got one more question for you, man. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, thank you for taking the time, bro, to share yeah, your story course. with us, restoring broken churches. You experienced some awesome stuff here, um, beginning at ground zero with that humility and, and, and approaching your church with that posture of servanthood and togetherness and witness as opposed to here I am. I'm the pastor with the agenda and all the answers, you know. Um, beautiful place to start, and I think it's a great place for, for all our listeners to say, look, I'm going to start from there. Even if I've already started on the bad foot, you can switch to the good foot. Um, here's my last question for you. Somebody listening to this may think, hey, look, this Ryan guy's got some cool things to say. Um, I would love to know more about his experience and maybe get some questions answered or some coaching along the way. How can somebody contact you? Uh, so the easiest way, obviously, would be like Facebook or Twitter, uh, Ryan Becker, or on Twitter, Ryan180Becker. Um, you can email me, ryan180becker at gmail.com. I'm pretty consistent across the board with my – Ryan Becker is a common name, so I threw in the 180 as a reference to my old BMX days. Um, nice. But yeah, you can also find um, – another way to interact with me is on theabsurdity.org, which is my podcast website, but it's also kind of my – it's my website. Um and uh, those would be the main ways to contact me. And transparency has been a huge part of my leadership. So a lot of what I've talked about, even my own personal vision for my district, um, the three-year strategic plans that they created each, all of those are typed up. So if you want those, if you want to see kind of what I've done and see any examples of what I've done, then go ahead and reach out to me. I'm happy to share those with you. Obviously, I'll censor out like specific names and things like that, but I'm happy to share those with you and, and help anyone else along your journey uh, no problem. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, look, I'll take those um, links as well and the, that contact information. I'll put it at the bottom um, underneath the podcast on the uh, SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash promopassive. You can see all the links there. And um, yeah, man, people can, can uh, stalk you, follow you, get to know you, <laughs> listen to you, listen to your awesome absurdity podcast. And uh, But look, Ryan, thank you so much, bro, for taking the time. I've been really blessed. And um, I just want to thank you again. And for those of you guys um, who've been listening, thank you for taking the time as well to listen to another episode of the uh, Pomo Pastor podcast where our focus is how to optimize the local Adventist church. I believe that the local Adventist church is a beautiful story to tell. Let's optimize it to tell that story. Thank you guys. God bless. Catch you next month. Well, that's all I've got time for today. But if you want some more, just come hang out at pomopastor.com. Thanks again for spending some time listening to the podcast. I'll catch you on the next one.